0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you so much for coming to this informal roundtable discussion. Um, our guest today, uh, we're delighted uh, to say, is Amy Brooks, who is program director, and I'll get this wrong, dramaturge, I think, is the pronunciation. We
1: like to use the hard G. But you use the hard G.
0: See, I knew I would get it wrong. Uh, for Roadside Theater, part of Apple Shop, um, over in Whitesburg, Kentucky. The reason we were specifically interested in having... Um, Amy join us as she's been involved in a major effort between Roadside Theater, Apple Shop, and um, academic partner um, in Lafayette College and a number of other core actors in thinking about how they can marry a really long-lived methodology that they've developed at Roadside um, around the arts and the role the arts can play in eliciting participatory space for folks that want to be involved in community change. Um, and classic, more classic asset-based, economically-based uh, development, and could they develop a combined methodology, and um, they've had a grant for a couple of years working on this. I've been especially interested in following it, because I think it's a really vital and important uh, work in which they're engaged. Um, as far as what Amy does, she coordinates the ensemble's um, core program, programmatic areas. She oversees special publishing, performance and arts, and culture-based economic development projects, which is how... She got into this one. Um, Her recent projects include this project that I'm mentioning, Performing Our Future, a collaboration with researchers, uh, also including a national organization of scholars called Imagining America uh, and Lafayette College and some folks here as well. She's co-edited Art in a Democracy, Selected Plays of Roadside Theater, a forthcoming two-volume anthology of original roadside scripts framed by critical essays that examine those in several contexts. I want to thank uh, you for coming, but also my colleague, Kim Nawalney uh, and the Department of Agricultural Leadership and Community Education for co-sponsoring the event. And also this evening, um, we'll have a blessing by um, a- an indigenous citizen, uh, American Indian Monacan of the Monacan Nation. And so we're also supported by the American Indian and Indigenous Community Center here at Virginia Tech. What we'll do today right now is really informal. Um, Amy will frame some comments for us and then we'll spend much of our time, I think, during this hour uh, with questions uh, and exploring together what it is she is up to in this interesting work. So thanks so much, Amy, for joining us and the floor is yours.
1: All right, thank you so much, Max, and uh, the rest of the Community Voices team. And thank you, everyone, for being here today. It's really great to see your faces, even though you're kind of far away. Um, So uh, I'm Amy and one thing that I noticed about the community voices um, sort of background uh, and the the history of the series is that some really eminent people including in my field which is theater have spoken in this series uh, you know great people like Liz Lerman and in 2011 my own artistic director Dudley Cock uh, spoke on the floor of the Lyric Theater and so I'm especially uh, kind of moved and humbled to be Um, in the company of those people, because I am not someone that you might consider uh, uh, eminent in my field like some of these UN deputies and really, really accomplished people. I'm what you would call uh, early career or emerging, uh, which might be useful for some of the graduate students and um, people who are at a different stage of their career and are maybe looking at the the arts as a sustainable lifestyle, especially with um, uh, an orientation to organizing. Uh, so part of what I wanted to present here in these various talks this weekend is this idea that uh, if, if I can do this <laughs> with my kind of mainstream arts background, which had no orientation to organizing at all, then literally anyone can. And indeed, right now, uh, I hope that we all are thinking about what we can do from our various perspectives and backgrounds um, to step forward out of our comfort zones and take maybe a little more action, uh, not individually but together. Um, based on what's going on right now. So, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Apple Shop, which is uh, my parent organization, um, we are uh, a Central Appalachian Arts and Humanities uh, Training Institute. Uh, it was founded in 1969 as part of Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty, where they came in and they gave a bunch of Appalachian kids filmmaking equipment with this idea that they would uh, get good at this, and of course, they would leave which is a, a mindset that has persisted all the way up to my Gen X generation, this idea that if you have artistic skills or ambition, you leave Appalachia. Uh, and like good contrary Eastern Kentuckians, they said, no, thanks, I think we're going to stay here. And after the, the funding for this project uh, ran out, they kept the film equipment and they started making documentaries about their communities and the way people actually lived there. So that was the beginning of Apple Shop as a, a center of first voice storytelling. And um, Roadside Theater is the theater wing of Apple Shop, and we've been a member of Apple Shop since 1975. Uh, Roadside Theater is a political theater. Uh, Our background is very much in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, the Free Southern Theater, and other Southern organizing justice movements. So uh, that is the the orientation and training of Roadside that I came to uh, as a dramaturgy graduate student out of uh, UMass Amherst. Uh, a couple of years ago with no training to think about real in-depth community engagement or anything like that. So uh, it's been a huge crash course moving down right before the 2016 election when all of my uh, liberal cohort are still in major metro areas and saying, oh my God, what's going on? And the phone calls started coming in right on election night saying, well, Amy, you were born and raised in West Virginia, and now you've moved back down to Appalachia to do this work. You're surrounded by Trump voters. What the hell is going on? (laughs) What can we do? So um, I'm always in the middle of these multiple dialogues with various communities that I've belonged to and still belong to and and identify with on different levels, um, professionally and artistically. Um, So my journey is kind of central to some questions that Roadside has been asking for the last couple of years, which is how can we reach across this disunification that's happening within communities, that's happening across silos in America, and sectors, and professions, and geographies, and cultures, and actually get some work done together. you know, What is it going to take to, to overcome difference uh, without glossing it over or erasing what's happening so that people's voices are genuinely recognized? So uh, I'm just going to briefly frame before we move into our conversation and questions uh, the piece of work that I'm here to present this weekend, which is called Performing Our Future. So uh, in about 2015, uh, some of Roadside Theater's national partners, uh, one of them is Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, which is a national consortium of about 100 colleges and universities and uh, humanities and social sciences connecting to community organizations and leadership. So it's really uh, an institution that exists to uh, connect uh, colleges and universities to the community because um, some of you might have observed around Blacksburg that, Uh, relationship can get a little contentious. I was born and raised in Morgantown, West Virginia, another college town, and it happens there too, the old town and gown thing. Uh, And then the other uh, major partner is EEGLP, which is the Economic Empowerment and Global Learning Project out of uh, Lafayette College in Eastern Pennsylvania. And that is an economic development project led by a man named Flooney Hutchinson, who um, grooms his students to go respectfully into communities and do equitable economic development with uh, and alongside citizens there. So these partners, Apple Shop, IA, and EEGLP in 2015 started asking each other, what would it take for arts and culture to catalyze equitable development in communities with histories of economic exploitation? Uh, Apple Shop's hometown of Whitesburg is very definitely uh, such a community. Uh, the central coal fields of Appalachia are uh, essentially a mineral colony. Um, people have very little voice, agency, ownership, and belonging. So, uh, when we started asking those questions and looking at the way Apple Shop and our partnerships were structured, we realized that a couple of different Apple Shop uh, departments or projects, as we call them, already had something in common that we hadn't identified before. Uh, one of them was roadside theater my theater wing, and we, uh, we use the story circle as a basic tool to engender empathy and to make new uh, intercultural and place-based plays that are for and of and by working class, rural and urban people. And the other was the Letcher County Culture Hub, and I'm going to hold up a diagram of the community relationships that the Letcher County Culture Hub has developed in the last couple of years and i'm going to pass this around Uh, and i'm going to read this because our organizing director would really kill me if i got this wrong but so it's it's a growing collaboration among foreign and nonprofit businesses community centers artist and artisan organizations business associations volunteer fire departments elected officials government and educational organizations and citizen economists plus the IA research team and Apple Shop and Roadside. And the idea is that these organizations working together uh, will identify latent assets, cultural assets in particular, and human uh, assets and capital that they can turn into new resources and wealth that is controlled by the community rather than gentrifying or outside forces or top-down government or business structures, which is the opposite of our historical um, extractive economy. So um, we looked at what roadside and uh, the culture hub had in common and we realized it was a playmaking process. Ben Fink, the organizing director who created this culture hub, the seedlings for this culture hub came out of his process of going around Letcher County, Kentucky with Roadside Theater as a new employee at Apple Shop and attending community story circles where Letcher County residents were answering questions about what they saw as the future of Letcher County and remembering stories of how they grew up and the kind of poverty that they experienced, which is very different than poverty in Letcher County under opioid epidemic, uh, the way things are now, and um, how they envisioned people uniting to move forward from the the coal economy, which most people there do recognize is in its death throes. And of that um, community story circle and and playmaking process came the seedlings for um, the, the organizing project that Ben has instituted there. And from that time in 2015, The Culture Hub and Roadside Theater have been working very closely together with our national uh, partners to kind of work on a new methodology that we're just loosely calling community cultural and economic development that uses new playmaking as a catalyst for gathering uh, disparate parts of communities that aren't often in the same room together and using story circles to build empathy and some understanding first before we proceed with the ideological and and, um, policy questions that tend to divide people. And what we have found is that if if people can establish commonalities through that storytelling, then they're much more amenable to communicating across differences. If you get an environmentalist and a strip mine operator in a story circle together, which is a a dialogue that we have had, and ask them, uh, what's the best path for the economic future of Letcher County, then you're gonna have a problem and you're gonna have disagreements. But if you ask people to tell a story about a time when you were scared for your children's economic future, then you right away establish uh, a form of communication that is gonna connect people and give them something that they can identify with. And that's not a panacea and it's not gonna cure everything, but uh, you can no longer pretend that the uh, other party is not human. And I think that is the level of dehumanization that people across cultures are at now in our community. So the seedling of arts and culture and the seedling of organizing uh, have kind of found their, their, um, their unifying structure in performing our future. And this is work that we are taking from the local to the national now. And I think I've probably filled up my time and I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn it back over now and I'm gonna pass around this uh, Letcher County Culture Hub diagram, which really bears close examination. It's so impressive. (laughs)
0: Questions? Okay, go ahead. All
2: right. I was saying thank you. This is fantastic. Um, My question, I guess, is, you know, as you may know from the correspondence we've had, I'm also interested in this notion of bringing people together for this kind of dialogue. Um, But frankly, I often struggle with how to bring people together that is the the strip miner and 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 environmentalists you mentioned it's one it's it's fantastic when you get them in a room together and Mm -hmm. fantastic things can happen in a facilitated dialogue or through some methodology but getting them there is the part that i find the hardest how have you guys managed to do that so successfully
1: well it depends on who you ask roadside has its orientation and then the letcher county culture hub has its own strategies if you're a community organizer which i am not i'm mostly I'm out here doing something like this speaking to you all, or I'm teaching. so I spend more time in the office, but Ben, our organizing director, is out you know in the community talking people into being in a room together. so that's just a lot of elbow grease and foot room and you know footwork and shaking hands and and uh, arguing with people <laughs> and bullying them if necessary, and trying to explain to them why it's in their best interest to get in that room together, which frankly, if you were in uh, the, you know, one of the poorest and sickest congressional districts in the United States, the incentive is pretty high to get in a room together. So that's why he's been able to do this, I think. Uh, Roadside Theater, historically, especially doing a lot of community residencies to build plays, as we have, found very early on that it was going to take something extraordinary to get these people. We come from a a discipline theater that is extremely elitist, Um, We know through studies that it historically serves, nonprofit theater historically serves the the top 15% wealthiest, whitest, best educated members of every community, pretty much. So this question of, of how to get uh, voices and bodies and community members in the room who, who weren't usually there, became a formal issue that we needed to address because they weren't showing up for our initial tours and dialogues back in the you know the mid to late 70s when Roadside took their Appalachian show more on the road into communities outside of central Appalachia. So it's a matter of contract now. All of our literature is available on our website and uh, you download and you read about the way that we do community cultural development. And uh, we work with representatives of the community. Whoever contacts us become kind of our liaisons, and we work with them through negotiating this process of will we come in and help your community uh, make a play, beginning with facilitating those story circles. And they agree contractually to help us do the work, the research into the community, and ask who are the underrepresented voices in this community. We identify uh, through um, demographic breakdown and uh, news stories, you know what is the makeup of this community and who's not in the room for these policy and cultural conversations and they agree to help us organize before we ever come there to get members of those communities in the room as many as would like to come and it's usually a system of having many story circles uh, that we coordinate because it's not you know we need to make it as accessible as possible this process some people can't make it um, you know after work You know, people who have children right away. It's more difficult for them. uh, You know, if they can't afford childcare, it's more difficult for them to do these evening activities. Or or if they can't afford to miss work, we have to think about what time of day we stage these story circles. So it's always been a a juggling act in terms of the organizing.
3: Related to his question, who would be the, the contact person who would get in touch with you
1: and ask for your? inclusion in their community if they belong who is that yeah yeah if they belong to the community then they can contact us we, we try not to deal with an outside party who's like brokering something they need to represent but, but their community I
4: mean,
3: the person who contacts you and says we we want to bring you into our community and we want to include our community who is that who is that person is it a government official is it a social worker you know yes. that initial contact and <laughs> And what context does that person have is, I I think, related to what you're asking.
1: There's no rule. They don't have to be an arts person. They don't have to be, in fact, we prefer it when uh, just an ordinary citizen with maybe no official capacity contacts us and and says, now, you know, that's a different conversation. Maybe they don't have as many resources behind them. So part of our organizing becomes helping this citizen leader Organize within their community, but there are always inroads to that. Uh, but it has—I know historically—and if it were Dudley or Donna, uh, the other two current roadside members, they could tell you specific examples of the the different kinds of people who have contacted them. It often is someone who is who is higher up, who is with a, a an arts council, who or who runs a local theater, or um, you know maybe is in a um, if it's a university, maybe someone who is the head of a department, and they want to do it within their department to try to connect their students to the community, their students and faculty and staff to the community. But it can be anyone. And we encourage people just to reach out, even if they feel they have no resources, to to reach out. And If there's a way and they can gather enough people who are interested in doing this work together because they've identified a problem in the community that needs to be addressed and and they're willing to follow our methodology, then we will work with them.
5: This is a complicated matter that you're talking about Um, and Anne's question uh, is important and I want to make sure I understood. Your answer seemed to be in referencing when you took a show out, Roadside took a show out to another community, that there there is a methodology in place, uh, experienced uh, strategies for allowing uh, a sponsor. To um, invite or be available to a variety of different uh, communities within a community. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I think the Letcher County Culture Hub, uh, the strategies there are dependent on 50 years of practice in Letcher County. That roadside and Apple Shop have been present in Letcher County for 50 years, and they've been working at how to make contact and how to make relationship and build relationship over a very long stretch of time um, and have identified, and I would love if you can speak about the members of the Letcher County Culture Hub. Um, you, they've identified uh, organizations that are already doing something and you've begin, you've begun to build a cohesion between them which is a major step in the development, as I understand it, of the, of the Culture Hub. So th- those are two yeah. different contexts that I wanted to just sort of point to.
1: And I do want to, just in the interest of transparency, I want to say that there, you know, there can be little sparks of disagreement among uh, Apple Shop staffers and some of the community members about how much of this work was actually in place. Apple Shop has dug incredibly deeply into the Whitesburg and Letcher County communities over the fifty years that Bob mentions, we'll have our fiftieth anniversary in twenty twenty. Um, but there, uh, the, the residents of Letcher County, if you ask them, you know, well, how how often were you coming together? Uh, you know, they they have a. Mostly been involved with Apple Shop in some capacity, but they weren't as involved with each other. Uh, the way w- one of our participants framed it recently was, uh, we just think in terms of you know you keep your head down, you do the work, and you mostly focus on yourself, and you don't think too much about coordinating with that other guy. So the, there are successful, um, you know, independent businesses and, and agencies and and uh, local foreign nonprofit places in Letcher County that had had some modest success, but they just were not coordinated or organized. Um, So I'll I'll just pull out, you know, an example of kind of a binary that exists within the culture hub, some specific participants and their differences in what they've been able to accomplish through the culture hub. Um, We traveled recently with a community partner, Gwen Johnson, who uh, runs uh, a business called the Hemp Hill. I want to get this right. Hemp Hill, catering business out of the Hemphill Community Center there in Eastern Kentucky. Um, Gwen falls on the liberal spectrum, spectrum uh, end of the spectrum, I think, politically. She, uh, like most Eastern Kentuckians, you know, she's against gun control, and she voted for Trump, which she doesn't make a secret of, but she went to Goddard College in Vermont, and, you know, she studied shamanism and drumming, and she's just this completely fascinating um powerhouse of a woman who is running her own catering business now and through these both story circles with roadside and the early dialogues coordinating with Electra county culture hub she's been working very closely with a man named bill mead who runs the volunteer fire department in kings creek now bill's also a trump voter and um what Bill says goes. He doesn't hold with any of this feminism nonsense, and uh, he's got real clear views on gender and the way things should be organized. And he's the one who's going to tell you how things are going to go. And uh, he doesn't hold with all this uh, hippy dippy arts nonsense. Had never, I don't know that I don't know that the man had ever been to a play or would ever want to go to a play before we invited him to be in one <laughs> with roadside theater. He just never saw the sense of any of that, and he, he probably was one of these people, I've never asked him, but he probably called Apple Shop staffers uh, Appleheads, which is part of the parlance for people who don't hold with our liberal tree-hugging agenda there in Letcher County. Uh, but these people are in a circle now, and they're working together on a regular basis, uh, not agreeing on everything. Um, but through the work, they've, they've found a kind of... I think intimacy is not too strong a word. I think that they, they share a lot of space and they break bread together a lot and their, their futures have become intertwined in this conversation about um, how arts and culture can help catalyze this development that they both recognize is, is desperately needed. And he, I, I forgot to mention that Bill is a strip mine operator. He's the strip mine operator that I mentioned. So, uh, and he recently appeared in our, the Letcher County play that I mentioned. About uh, citizens telling their their stories and asking their questions about the future of Letcher County, we we said, Bill, do you want to go on stage with us? And he did. <laughs> so.
3: I, I'm curious about the. Um, <clears throat> I would understand story circles as a way to gather material. And then I assume that that if you're gonna. Um, up with a production somebody's going to write a script and all that kind of stuff which sounds like it all takes a lot of time and so if apple shop were to come um be invited to come and work in a community how does that work i mean you're not going to like have a long time presence is it something that can be done at a distance you know as the local work is going on that the facilitation doesn't have to be there in the room
1: or in the town so a couple of things we're we're getting into a point now where I haven't done a lot of national touring with roadside in my two years I've been with them for two years now so I'm gonna it's kind of academic what I'm about to explain for me because I haven't been on the road with them part of the reason is that we we've lost our uh, performance ensemble through NEA cuts that happened around 1997, mm-hmm. uh, where a- Apple Shop lost about 90% of its staff and capacity then, and we we're still kind of in recovery mode. So most of our, our the plays that we produced are either with youth in and around Letcher County, or they are in collaboration with uh, communities or other theaters that have a performance ensemble to perform the plays. So we're just not touring as much as we used to. Now in the day, and as I understand it, um, something we still could do is uh, it's negotiable we do there have been long-term uh, community cultural residencies and cultural exchanges uh, we have an over 30-year partnership with Iriwan Anchawe, on which is a Zuni theater company on the Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico and it took a long time to build a play with them it took uh, Uh, those residents coming and staying with us and going to church with roadside members and playing pickup basketball games and going to local schools and then roadside members going out to the Zuni Pueblo and seeing how they lived their life there and how their culture was threatened, the economic conditions that we share. So that's an example of a a long-term residency that took many, many trips, a lot of communication. Uh, You know, I think this was even before our roadside leaders were that deeply into internet which I don't even know back in the day if that was available on the Pueblo. So it was a lot of phone calls and letters. And, um, and, you know, we've done the same thing with a Puerto Rican uh, theater company in the Bronx called Pregones, Puerto Rican Traveling Theater. That's about 25 years now. I think that uh, Puerto Rican theater makers in the Bronx have come and stayed with Roadside, and we've gone and stayed there in the Bronx and uh, seen and felt how each other lived. Now, some residencies are much, much shorter term. And we always try to consider our own capacity, because just as a nonprofit, we always got to think of that. What can, we, what can we afford to do? How much time can we spend out of the office? And then um, we ask them what they think they can manage in terms of time and capacity and everything. It could be four weeks. Or it could be a three-day residency, where we do a basic lesson in the story circle methodology. We try to organize and coordinate um, how we could use those three days the best. It doesn't always result in the production of a play. Although it can, sometimes it can be training so that they can institute this and make a play that they might like even without roadside overseeing it. Uh, we try to consider, you know, how much time and resources people have and what they want to get out of it. But every every residency, whether it's three days or 30 years, is treated as an organizing exercise. So we try to have some understanding of, you know, who we're working with and um what the problems are that they're wanting to encounter through the story circle of the playmaking process. I hope that answered it and not to secured us away.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, I have so many questions. And, oh, I, and they, they all diverge in different directions. So That's let cool. me, um, <laughs> Joe Carson
1: oh yeah before um, my time unfortunately
6: she did basically what you say roadside theater is doing and I wondered if one inspired the other because I know she wasn't a, she wasn't a member of roadside theater
1: I might ask for a little help from Bob here Joe was never a roadside was she a road company ensemble member or was the connection strictly through roots
5: oh, road, uh, road company
1: road, um, sorry road company yeah. no no you
5: said it I said it wrong <laughs> I get them mixed up all the time yeah me too um Uh, So, yeah, Joe was part of the Road Company ensemble, um, but uh, all the way back from the very beginning of the Road Company in 1975-76, we were orienting uh, in Johnson City with Broadside Television, which was a a public access um, effort, and Roadside, Apple Shop, or Apple Shop before Roadside got started, and then Roadside. Um, So it was uh an extended family if you will Mm -hmm. um we partied together (laughs) um and we we strategized together um so joe goes back all the way from the very beginning of roadside um, but worked in parallel Uh, uh, her methodology was quite different from the way roadside works
1: Mm
6: -hmm. And, and just to expand what you said about joe a little further my understanding was she would go into a community do story circles create a script, and then a performance? Yes. So what, how, how did your methodo- those methodologies differ?
5: Well, um, Jo was a playwright. Yeah. And uh, she was doing playwright research. It was never uh, exactly a collaborative process. Um, it, it was collaborative in the development of the, of the desire to have a play. Um, But when it came to taking the researched material and turning it into a script, she wrote it. Um, And then she would try it out with people. And they might then kick back on it. But she went in as a playwright. Whereas my perception, and Amy, you should really correct me if I'm off on this. My perception is that Roadside basic methodology was to um, uh, present their show and encourage others to do likewise and would respond when they had questions or want to know how to do. So it's more of a, as an organizing effort than a playwriting effort, uh, strictly speaking.
6: Okay, so I'm misunderstanding. I thought that Roadside would go into a community, do story circles, and create a performance. We do,
1: sometimes. It doesn't have to result in a play. Okay, yeah. and
5: definitely that's been happening in Letcher County where they have long, you know, they live there. Um, but the two examples that Amy mentioned, the, Zuni people uh, and the uh, partnership with um, Pragonus represent pretty unique relationships between essentially two in both cases, and Junebug as well, um, where there is a, a partnership between companies, Pragonus Theater Company and, and uh, Roadside.
1: So I, I think an example that might help gel, and this is a much shorter term, Example, I don't know if it was Choto, Montana. It's an example that Dudley uses all the time, but this was for Junebug Jack, um, which was formed in collaboration with uh, Junebug Productions, uh, African-American partners in New Orleans. Uh, and we were going up to Montana or someplace kind of in the rural uh, Northwest. And uh, it, this was a heavily segregated community. That was just the, it was obvious right from the outset that that was going to be a major uh, issue is how to get these communities in a room together to, to see or produce or, or work together in story circles. So the solution that Roadside found back in the day, and I don't think that this residency probably didn't last longer than between four to six weeks, uh, was to create an ecumenical choir. Since most of our plays are musical and June Bug Jack is musical, they were gonna create a, an ecumenical choir uh, from white and black churches throughout the community who were never in a space together. and. Uh, Various churches uh, were given the music. They rehearsed it separately. And then very late in the process, right before the production, they were brought together. And uh, they already had the material, and it just came to life as they were performing together in this choir. And, of course, both churches ended up bringing their congregations and their communities to see the performance. So everybody was in the room together, even if they hadn't been involved together throughout the entire process. And they were there because... uh, it, it's uh, an iterative process where after a performance, we do a story circle right on the spot as much as possible so that uh, the audience and the participants can all respond together to what they've produced and what they've seen. So that everyone continues to participate and then we invite them and encourage them to stage more story circles even after we've left if they want to and it's not unusual for these story circles to lead to some kind of community action. So what do you I don't know. I don't know what the upshot of that was. One thing that I can tell you we don't historically have, and this has to do with our capacity, our infrastructure. We haven't had a lot of great methods of checking back in to track long-term results of these. And that's something that we're always talking about is how could we track data and and keep track of the the results and things that have flourished in these communities. But there is a certain point at which we, we do kind of release control and and the, you know it's, it's up to the community because we don't, we're not there to change things in that capacity. We're there to create the conditions for people in a dialogue to decide whether they want to change things together in their own community because we don't live there. At the end of the day, it's not our community and it's not for us as artists or organizers to come in and tell these people what their community needs or, or how they should change it. Um, we merely facilitate the dialogues and the process whereby they can discover this together and make their own decisions and that's something that the electric county culture hub has in common too it's it's bottom-up organization it's not for the government or for or even for ben as the lead organizer to say what these people need he creates the conditions for them to to ask themselves what they need
6: but it would still be helpful i think to know what happens after an event like that would take place because that was powerful and you know be, it would well, be great
1: to know Dudley and Donna might have more information. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm the least historically knowledgeable member of the roadside team, unfortunately, so, yeah. I, I,
5: I think you said something important, Amy, when you spoke about the, the uh, fact that whenever people do story circles, some kind of action comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important to hear, that it's not just story circle to get a play to happen. Um, but rather that the story circle is a way for people to begin to talk together uh, across whatever differences may be in that circle to find out what do we want to do because you can tell stories up to a certain point and then somebody wants to go do something Um, so what that is is not an agenda of roadsides as I understand it but rather just the facilitation of that process um, which is really important uh, to To hear in these questions because we all want to get something done but is it only through playmaking that the the, that the strategies are useful and I, I think it's really important to hear that the story circle can lead to a play but it is really about opening up a dialogue in the community
1: it's a big difference between my training and my background as a theater worker in the mainstream arts, you know the play itself is the end-all, be-all. It's it's the point, and we just naturally assume that if we have if we put a diverse group of people on stage together and present some interesting or challenging or stimulating material, we've changed our audience somehow, or or um, you know it, it positively impacts the community by virtue of having produced this excellent or beautiful thing and that's debatable it's really debatable it it might work out that way sometimes and you can argue that by virtue of having consumed or encountered something beautiful or thought-provoking you are changed but uh it doesn't seem to be working out that great for the american theater i don't i don't think that that's a function that theater is serving particularly well because uh, it doesn't often ask itself who's in the house you know these beautiful challenging thought-provoking plays are produced for remarkably undiverse audiences, and that's a difference between Roadside, which is only really ever thought of the playmaking as a tool for the organizing, as you pointed out. It was hard for me to get used to and wrap my head around when I came to Roadside. It's like, but what, but what? Who profits? You know, cui bono? Who who benefits from this playmaking process in the end? If it's some wealthy producer, you know, with an office off Broadway, then what are we in it for? Yeah. I-
3: involving the community members in the performance, being on stage and stuff would be like a next step beyond the story circle experience, you know, where they're they're having to embody something. I mean, I don't know whether they play them themselves in archetype or maybe they have to take the role of somebody who's different from them sometimes. But, you know, it just seems like I'm, I'm much more likely activation of a change
1: in somebody mm-hmm. to have to get up on stage. It is embodying action, and it's gone both ways. There, you know, For many, many years, Roadside had a core performance ensemble, almost none of whom were classically trained. They just grew up steeped in these stories in a certain storytelling presentational mode of, of community music-making and storytelling that they understood instinctively. It didn't require training from a formal academy because talent plus the intensive training and exposure in their communities made them excellent at what they do. And you can still watch recordings of those old productions like Red Fox Second Hanging and see the expertise of these storytellers. Now, uh, because we don't have that performance ensemble, we are more inclined to have community members um, doing the acting themselves, although they've always participated as musicians. And if they wanted to join in in some capacity, then that was always an an option that we left open. So we work with both professional and amateur um, artists Okay. so
4: yeah, I want to take the conversation maybe in a similar direction but maybe a different turn. I was curious to if you can speak more to the story circle process kind of like the same mode like okay, so who are the actors? who's involved, who benefits, right? That's the major framing questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can speak more to how much energy and time is put into, <coughs> you all going to a community to actually, if you will, from the organizers mindset to facilitate a story circle versus perhaps putting the time and energy into helping the community perform their own story circles. So I don't know how much what that process looks like. So there's a variation there, right? It's no different than the the performance of the play. People are in their own performance of the play versus the performance of their story circle. So, our, so who owns that facilitation? So do you go and come in and facilitate those story circles, or are you actually providing the capacity-building opportunities for community members to continue the story circle process?
1: Yeah, um, both. But when we do a residency, the emphasis is usually on us facilitating. Otherwise, there's no need for us because all the, all the literature is available on the website. So first of all, they know that we ask them to read just the, the brief documents that we have on our story circle and how, and, and there are a million different ways to do a story circle. You can argue that Roadside is the one who has sort of, you know, popularized it, you know, trademark, whatever, but millions and millions of groups, not millions, but lots of groups do story circles to facilitate community dialogues. Um... So this stuff is available, and we ask people to read about it before we even come in, and they needn't bring us in for a residency to use the story circle. Uh, But there's an assumption that if they bring us in, they generally want us to be the ones leading the story circles. So that does comprise a fair portion. We usually, if I'm understanding correctly, we usually stop at a certain point in the development process, because we've got enough stories to be going on with, we've got enough to make a place, and the time is better spent in play development and rehearsals. Um, but it immediately begins again after the performance, and we encourage people to continue it themselves. So, I mean, it's it's theirs if they want it. If they want to do this without us, then, then we provide as much as we can. But while we're there, we do tend to facilitate the story circles.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess I wanted to return to this question of organizing for what? Because to me, conventional organizing, while it may be grassroots, or supposed to be grassroots in nature, yeah. there's an underlying political theory uh it's usually about empowerment and therefore it's about uh changing power dynamics that have traditionally existed but what i've heard you say so far around for example the the strip mining uh, uh fire uh, volunteer fire captain mm-hmm. who you know very sort of patriarchal opinions on the way the world should work and so on do you see i mean to me the value would be if you see him change so i guess i'm pushing a little bit on do you see actual change from somebody like that and what does that look like because to me that's what's interesting about what you do is when you actually have some change in the dynamics of relationships and so on
1: yeah uh and hopefully you know we'll be able to watch i can i wonder if there's a way to sort of share out the Letcher county culture hub interviews at some point um but we've i'm Ameri- imagining america has has filmed some interviews with the the culture hub participants and they are saying things bill mead has said you know i just i didn't I can't believe we're in a room together. We were just never in a room together before this. We never thought about coordinating our activities in a way that benefited the community. They would do things like schedule events that were fairly important to the community because major decisions would be made there at conflicting times. And no one would talk to anybody, so you would have to choose, you know, if you wanted to support Hemphill uh, Catering or you wanted to support, you wanted to go to this uh, fire department meeting or you wanted to go to a square dance at Carcassonne. That might be raising money for a local school or you know the library needed some help in blackie because of some flooding you would really have to it was kind of sort of every organization for itself so there is just in and of itself getting um people like bill and gwen in a room together to be having a conversation and coordinating um they've they've helped develop a, a calendar a community calendar that's available on the web but it's also you know they do a lot of phone calling and emailing back and forth to make sure things are coordinated um, so even just things as simple as that, just being in a room together, a lot of conversations too tend to follow naturally from that work. Um, if, it, if it ventures into the political and the personal, then um, so much the better, but we can't really coordinate those conversations. Uh, we have a formal structure, which is the story circle for doing things like that, but unless we're f- um, hosting or facilitating an event that is about addressing those issues, it is something that tends to arise naturally as a consequence of having worked alongside together for a common cause. So um, they, and I, I think that I'm quoting them accurately <laughs> from what I've seen in these videos, but they are saying it's like, yeah, there's, there's been a, a change in our relationship beyond what we could have imagined just through the simple act of, of doing this, focusing on the work together and doing it, so. Does that, did that answer the question well
7: enough? Hi, sir. Uh, this is my understanding that uh, what Apple Shop mostly do uh, is that, uh, well, it uses uh, theater, the art, as a catalyst for forming discussion inside the community. But I'm wondering whether you see your role as a uh, like um, uh, familiarizing that community with a medium to get involved in a broader discussion in like national level or international level. I don't know whether I was clear or not, but.
1: Um, Trying to understand um, who are we trying to familiarize? through what the you media talking, that we make for
7: example about how uh, the people who go to theater mm-hmm. are a small portion of the society <clears throat> and well part of it is is because uh, to feel the okay i can go buy a ticket and go and watch this theater you need to uh, believe that you have the right to do that, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yeah, a sense of so, belonging. like yeah. familiarizing these communities who would traditionally feel, okay, I, I don't need to go to theater. Theater is for the snobbish people <laughs> like in New York City. It is, yeah. So like making them realize about the power of the medium, to not only engage in a conversation with each other, but engage in the broader conversation that exists in the national level or like broader international level.
1: And I think it's important to point out that that national, not the international so much, just because I, mostly what people know about us is country roads <laughs> in central Appalachia. Uh, and I should mention that I, I'm West Virginian. I was born and raised there. Um, but on a national level, uh, there's always been a conversation about people in Appalachia and it's omitted us. Mm-hmm. It's shown us ugly images of who we are back, you know, 150 years. and that's That's, that's been our conversation in the mainstream media for the most part. It's, it's you know, them telling each other uh, who we are. <laughs> and the images have not been very positive ones uh, or very helpful to moving on from that reality to be honest, but uh, I should uh, be a little clearer about the way Apple Shop is structured today. Uh, Roadside Theater is only one project of Apple Shop, which also has a community radio station that is streaming online now and can be heard globally. That's WMMTFM. Uh, that has a really robust program of community DJs and also public affairs reporting that is starting to win national awards now with some of the young leadership that's come in. We've got our own record label, June Apple Recordings. Um, We've got the Appalachian Media Institute, which is a youth filmmaking training program. And we've got um, an older generation of documentary filmmakers, which you can argue that film is really sort of Apple Shop's um, core medium. Uh, and those their films are still in circulation and being taught in departments and screened publicly and kind of making the the awards circuit and available you know through our website for pretty cheap. So uh, theater is only one medium, but it is the most it's gone the opposite direction of radio which has become more and more democratized. There's always been a grassroots community-based theater scene, but on the whole the you know it's 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 been fairly late, kind of a closed circuit. But um, historically, I do have some figures here. 73% of Roadside's national audiences, and this is throughout you know its entire existence in 75, have annual incomes under $50,000, and 30% of those earn $20,000 or less a year. So um, since we lost our performance ensemble, you know, it's, it it's Roadside is not as prominent or visible in the communities, and they don't know us as well, unfortunately, around Letcher County and southwest Virginia. But back in the day, we were poor in working-class people's theater. It was weird if we were performing at the governor's mansion or something. That felt weird to Roadside, but we were always a company that performed in church revival tents and community centers and high school auditoriums and churches uh, and, and gathering places for... Um, For other people who maybe didn't feel that they were connected to that international or, or global thing, but the question is now: Yeah, how can how do we, in a in a way that's not patronizing, uh, connect people to those conversations? And our answer is by doing intercultural performance. If we go and we perform in the Bronx, and um, you know working class Puerto Rican people see uh, people and and hear songs and and um, and jokes and and uh, performances in a style that they were not familiar with at all. They see how very alike their own traditions, which they are knowledgeable and experts on, their own communities back in Puerto Rico, they understand, they make a connection that they might not have before, which is that they also have a a mountain, kind of hillbilly culture. Um, One uh, older Puerto Rican gentleman commented after seeing the show in the Bronx, uh, Betsy, our Appalachian Puerto Rican musical we produced with them, he said, I didn't understand anything, but I understood everything. So if we can use performance to connect communities and put them in conversation with each other about um, the economic and the, the social conditions that they're both facing together, then they start to see that that uh, international and global conversation is something they might have a place in too as well, because there are communities like Whitesburg and like the Bronx everywhere in the world. There are more of us than there are places like Broadway. So, yeah.
0: For whatever reason, we tended to concentrate more on what I guess I would label the, the community cultural development dimension of this project with mm-hmm. which you're engaged. Can you speak a little bit more to how the work is taking you or in what directions the work is taking you to join that with asset-based development strategies and communities?
1: I will do my best, although, man, I have no background in training in economics. In the past couple of years have been a huge crash course for me, but we'll see what I've gleaned. So. Uh, Roadside has always had this economic sort of mindset about uh, keeping class intersectional with other forms of oppression because it's it's one that people feel very specifically and are most subject to in central Appalachia for obvious reasons. We have an extractive economy. We are, as I've mentioned, a mineral colony for over 150 years. And it's difficult for people outside of Appalachia sometimes to understand the the specific effects that a mono economy has on the voice, the agency, the ownership and the belonging of people who have been subject to it and really have had very little um, access to to wealth. Um, They sort of lose their power over time. They believe some of these narratives that come in from the outside and they lose their power to identify and this is not just Appalachia, but it's in any um, at-risk community, I think, that's been exploited. They lose their ability to identify their latent assets that already exist within the community. Things like uh, songs and stories uh, musical talent, performing ability, the ability to get up and tell a story which is often steeped in church cultures and and uh, um, places with low literacy levels. Uh, the oral tradition becomes much more important. Or maybe it's an ability to organize in what's kind of been a you know, a casual or a, an ad hoc way to join, um, community centers of power together in the way that the culture hub is. That, that sort of thing does happen in other communities, but they're not always capitalized on because people don't think of them in terms of assets because they're not generating tons and tons of money, cash. So they miss these other kinds of capital that already exist but maybe aren't activated or aren't being utilized. So the economic development that we're, we're studying and working on with Economic Empowerment and Global Learning Project out of Lafayette College, um, headed by this conservative Jamaican economist named Flooney Hutchinson, who is just this wild dude uh, who is super knowledgeable about what he does and um, connects really beautifully with people and is teaching students to connect really beautifully and respectfully in the communities that they go into in places like Honduras and Whitesburg, Kentucky, uh, to identify their own cultural traditions, how those traditions are in communication with each other and how in fact um, their own culture or maybe their musical ability or their artisan crafts or some industry that they're producing has value in and of itself. It's just that someone else is enjoying the benefits of that value that they're producing. So if you look at, um, I'll, I'll use you know, a, a current example because I'm in conversations with the dramaturg from the original Kentucky Cycle Plays by Robert Schenken, if, you, if anyone remembers these plays. Um, it came out at the same time as Angels in America and won a Pulitzer Prize, and, and there was a lot of uh, debate and discourse and sort of bad feelings within Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky about the way that uh, Kentuckians were depicted, uh, which sort of, they felt that it was not very accurate or respectful, and someone else suddenly was enjoying the value, the, the benefits of the value that had to do with with Eastern Kentuckians and their music and their stories and their culture. Uh, people outside of Kentucky were making money from this production, and it benefited their communities, you know, in New York. <laughs> so who? it's back to this question of who benefits from the the arts and culture, and how do we activate these latent assets? Um, and a phrase that Flooney likes to use is unbinding the imagination. You know, how do you help people who have been... Uh, trained to think in a certain way about the value of what they produce and their labor? How do you help them enjoy the benefits of that value?
4: I kind of wanted to build off of what Max has posed because I'm thinking maybe something along the same lines. Maybe I just want to maybe have a question because I know we are at the end, more of a comment. It makes me think about, well, it makes me revisit the things I often work through in my my work and in community education and development work. And the role that these 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 change making strategies, think about asset-based community development, think about cultural community development. This is not just words. This is a these are theories of change. And they're very complicated. And they and they mix together in, in sometimes harmonious and sometimes very contradictory ways. And so mm. when you were speaking earlier, and I think when some of the questions that were brought up was making me think about um, the work of Paulo Ferrer and the idea that actually to your question, like is it enough to bring people together to rectify or resonate with these these ways of knowing? Is it, do we do more? Do we need to do more to point out imperialism, capitalist exploitation, racism, white (laughs) supremacy, sexism? I mean, what do we do with that well, so, I mean, I'm mean, not asking you to answer that, i because mean, that's, that's for us all to answer. But I, what I guess I wanted to say is that I find it so valuable to have these conversations and in, in the complexity, because I don't ever believe, I don't believe my theory of change is that these, there's we need to negotiate these different ways of understanding. And so how do we bring, and sometimes challenge, which theory of change is, tr- is put forward and which one isn't, and how Oof. do you make that space? So I'm talking about making the conditions, setting the conditions is not just study the conditions in our community to change, but our communities to change. And so the, the, the larger aggregation of our, of our ways of being and ways of changing, to me, need to be challenged. And so how, so I'm not saying this is road roadside challenge to take on, but I put it to all of us to think about how we engage with different communities of change. And that's something I just personally, that's a space I'm in. And, I, and I'm gladly complicated by that. but I, guess I I guess I put that out there as a way to think about, because I mean Max's question made me think that immediately. and perhaps we've had this conversation before. But I think about the absolute potential of what you're describing as a much larger, and I hate to use the word meta, but it perhaps is a useful word in terms of a larger frame to bring different, Theories of change and change agents together, not just at the low grass level, mm-hmm. which at the same time needs to happen.
1: So, oof, yes, <laughs> preach, because <laughs> uh, we're we're in the process of trying to reconcile these differences and disagreements, even among our team. We're a tiny little team right now. The core performing our future team right now is Dudley, my artistic director at Roadside Theater, me, Ben Fink, the. Letcher County Culture Hub Organizing Director, uh, Scott Peters at Cornell University, who is also with Imagining America, Flooney, and we have a bunch of other participants and partners, notably Virginia Tech, recently as we become involved with the Virginia Tech Artworks website, so I would bring you, Bob, into that conversation and your team, I think is a kind of a core partner now. But, I mean, we have really, really different backgrounds and orientations even within our team just in a moment of a kind of radical transparency, when we talk about uh, belonging and, and agency and ownership on our team. And uh, the the women on our team, Holly is a, a filmmaker at Imagining America, but she's kind of stepping back. And one of, our, one of the major uh, people who helped bring Performing Our Future to life is a young woman who's no longer with our team now. So I'm the woman on the team having these conversations. To be perfectly frank, and I don't require anyone to agree with me, but when we talk about ownership and, and agency, uh, you know, and we're organizing in communities where a majority of people don't even agree that I own my body, or we're, we're organizing in this atmosphere, I just, I receive these words differently. It means different things to me. And uh, Ben, who heads the Lecce County Culture Hub, was actually trained in Theater of the Oppressed. And he is a Marxist, and he, he categorizes himself as a Socialist Jew from the Northeast. That's who is leading these conversations in uh, in Eastern Kentucky right now, and they're, you know, they're fine with it. So uh, he he published a piece called um, Building Democracy in Trump Country. I don't know that that was his title, but he talks about how he's found uh, Letcher County to be one of the most open-minded places he's ever lived, and this is putting his own personality pretty far out there. You know, he's he's pretty... Uh, upfront about being a socialist. But my question is, if I went in there, uh, you know, wearing a radical feminist t-shirt, would I encounter the community the same way? Would I be able to do this work? Would they be open to my ideas? If I wore a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, how does that change the conversation? And most importantly, aside from us, what happens when this, you know, performing our future work goes national? And it's not our baby anymore. It's not focused on Ledger County. It's happening in a really, really different community and all of a sudden you have people of color leading this conversation is gonna look and feel different. So something we're trying to be mindful of right now is building that flexibility into the, the, the you know, community cultural and economic development language so that it can be what communities need it to be. Um, but we have not tested this nationally yet in that many partner sites. So.
0: I want to thank each of you, and I want to thank Amy very much for a stimulating hour, and I encourage you to come back uh, this evening here uh, in the GLC in room F at 7, where Amy will provide some remarks and we'll have an opportunity again for conversation. Thanks so much for coming. Thank